Hello once again. Thank you for joining me here at Good Words. Today I talk with Eric, uh, who brings a verse from Jeremiah about what it is that God cares about and what's at risk when we don't care about those things. We get into parenting, we get into some of the trends we're seeing in Christian churches of the decline, sharp decline post COVID, and what we think might be some of those problems uh, leading to that, and what people can do to sort of correct that. What can they do to find themselves concerned with what God Himself is concerned about? Thanks for being here. Welcome to Good Words. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness justice and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Well, hello again. This is Pastor Eric and Pastor Ross, and and we're excited to share today uh, good words from the good word. And uh, so we're excited to do that um, today. We're going to focus uh, our attention on really something that has sort of been on on my own heart for some time now and that is just th- there's a there's a downward spiral in Christianity and, and in the church right now and what I want to talk about today is this what I think is ultimately shown in a, in a lack of knowledge of God and who God is that if we really understood God and understood what God wanted from our lives and, and wanted for our lives, that uh, we wouldn't see all of the negative effects that we're seeing within the church and within society as a whole. Yeah, I think that's a very—well, you you told me a moment ago that—what uh, was it How in the last year? Yeah, so— as I was studying for my sermon this week, uh, multiple multiple sites were saying that it, there's over uh, just in this past year in 2021, almost there's a 10 percent decline in church attendance. Now that's not yeah. not specifically church members, but as a whole, the church has in uh, in size decreased by over 10%. Most of them said over, some of them said seven. I mean, it was, it was really all over the place in some ways, but, but the, that's the biggest majority is. Yeah. You know, there's something to our current post-Christian culture that's really kind of come to life in the last couple of decades, I think. Um, and by that, I mean, Prior to, you know, mid-20th century um, and before in America, at least for our own context, Christianity was very much the assumed worldview of basically everyone here. Um, And if it was not the worldview of 
maybe say an immigrant family that came at some point in the last few hundred years, it was typically quickly adopted. Um, good, good or bad, not even commenting on whether that's good or bad or authentic or inauthentic. Uh, but there were moral, um, moral assumed moral behavior that a lot of our society just agreed to uh, without necessarily having to be a church-going type of person. And we've entered a culture where we're sort of post-Christian um, nation, uh, where it certainly it should not be assumed that anyone you meet on the street in America is going to be confidently a Christian by their own words. And I think that's bears itself out to a lot of, you know, I think that's not something you have to prove, really. I think a lot of people have that feeling. In entertainment, everything is very not, um, they're not seeing the world through a Christian worldview, clearly. Uh, they're not interpreting reality in the same way that we think that we are interpreting reality. And that's sort of the far side of the people who don't belong to God, at the same time, I think we still have, we still have a great, we still have great people in our churches who, who are committed themselves. They are committed to following Jesus. They are committed to the Word of God and doing what they are able to understand that Word. And we have people like that in our church yeah. that I love so much and i really appreciate especially some of our older congregants who just their very life is a demonstration of a lifetime of what uh, eugene peterson called a long obedience in the same direction just yeah. just going down the path and and going for it until the day that they die but what a post-christian culture i think is revealing and i think covid which is what that statistic kind of comes on the heels of yeah. demonstrating what happened in the church during that time is it created sort of a a petri dish where the right amount of heat and pressure was applied to to bring about like a a super evolution where what maybe would have taken another couple of decades to reveal itself happened very, very fast, and there was a lot of pressure and a lot of heat applied to this Petri dish. And what we've seen is there's a pretty significant chunk of people who come to church who may um, be perfectly comfortable and at home saying, I'm a Christian, but it has been shown that they have no, um, or at least no apparent allegiance to the Christian way of life, specifically in what it means to be be a church, a local church. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I think I probably do because I'm speaking for myself. I'm, it's, it's, um, it's become apparent that we have a, a significant number of people in our churches who may have been just cr calling themselves Christian because culturally it's just what was. And now, since there are some other options on the table, um, that they maybe didn't feel as free to reach out and take advantage of or grab or stay home or pick up another hobby or go wherever, 
COVID really gave them the opportunity to explore that since it wasn't their decision not to come to church. It was a decision made by our governing bodies. Now that those times have passed, they've kind of decided, well, I don't, I guess I really don't need to be there with those people. And it's showing a very big disparity in who God, who those folks think our God is and what he is concerned about and what you've identified. And I think this passage speaks to is we live where we live in a culture where, you know, wisdom is perceived to be something that you can discover on your own. Um, Power is something just going to the next line. Power is something that is very admirable in our society. Um, it has it has a tremendous amount of social clout that comes with making yourself powerful. And of course, I mean, it's the dead horse by now, but we lo- love the idea of being rich. Yeah. And um, the Bible, interesting in this passage, it doesn't condemn wise, powerful, or rich in itself. What it condemns is the boasting of one's wisdom or the boasting of one's power or of one's riches. And though in what you kind of just outlined with this downtrend and what it says about people who now feel completely comfortable saying on one hand, I'm a Christian, and on the other hand, I don't go to church anymore, um, there is this sort of underpinning of I know what's good for me, and I've kind of discovered that here, and I'm going to have my dose of Christianity however much I feel like I need it, and then I'll do my life stuff in whatever capacity that I want to do it in that way, so that Christianity, this God thing, becomes, uh, you know, uh, just a kind of a side note, a footnote in what is actually your full life and your interests and your goals and your Christianity is just kind of like, well, I'm also that too. And it's kind of led us to where we've got a big group of people who feel perfectly comfortable saying, yeah, I'm, I'm Israel. I belong to God, but I, I don't have any obvious uh, public allegiance to what God's people do regularly, namely meet together and worship. Yeah, it's like um, God says, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, what's sad is, and you pointed this out, when COVID hit and there was that immediate like, Let's uh, let's all stay home seven days to slow the spread. And then seven days turned into 14. And then after 14 days, they still weren't sure. And so we closed church for some churches for months. Yeah. Um, and and what that did was it it gave people a a taste of what the world could be like if you could just not have to go to church on Sunday mornings and not be a part of of that fellowship together um, because now we can stay safe in the confines of our own home and we can you know wake up when we want we can we can 
listen to a sermon when and if we want, and and all of a sudden, what that did was it give it gave people uh, a sense of uh, now I have another I have another day off I have another day that I can do what I want yeah. and um, and it became comfortable and I even found it in in my own self yes. as a pastor like. Because I was recording uh, on Saturday, I would upload it so that it would be able to be played on Sunday morning. And man, you know, you, you get to wake up Sunday and you know, mm-hmm. grab your cup of coffee and sit on your recliner and watch watch the sermon. And and so it it gave this sense of comfort to to people. And they and and then it from that has just transpired into this well. I mean, I'm doing church, so why do I need to actually attend yeah. the church? And, you know, uh, I think that for those reasons, and then, you know, just the continued excuse of, well, you know, it's it, COVID's still here, and it's still mm-hmm. it's still really rampant. And I don't want to take away from the fact that COVID is, is real. It's, it, it is serious to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It's still being used as an excuse, yeah, to not, yeah, I, be a part of most of the f- people that I have heard uh, in the recent weeks, uh, you know, say something like, "Well, you know, we're just gonna wait till everything settles." Are they're also living their lives basically as they did before COVID? They go to work, their kids go to school, they do sports, yeah. they do the so church is sort of lingering. Yeah, you have a sort of lingering. And I think I think you kind of saw a couple different groups uh um in in the revelation of this COVID new way of doing church. You had you had some folks who were like well, here's my ticket out. Like, yay. Now I have an acceptable way a a, a socially acceptable way to still be a part of a Christian thing without having to actually be a part of a thing. You have those people. You have those people in the middle that I think, I think, I think most people were. I think you start to realize like how convenient it is to just be able to log on. You don't got to You could be in your pajamas still. You know, you don't have to put on a face and do go out of your way and drive to the church and do the thing. There's this measure of convenience that was like a temptation of like, oh, this would be nice, actually. And then you have these some other folks, maybe a smaller group, but still a, a notable group who were like, I cannot wait to get back to church. Yeah. And it's because they see they see a real value in their ability to come and be a part of this body. Um, I want to encourage that and and applaud them the people in the middle which i think is the probably the biggest group just as like a a pastoral encouragement um you're feeling that it is more convenient you know that it's less convenient to have to come and is exactly right it is not as convenient um it does require some measure of work you do have to get dressed you do have to uh when you come here and we do our worship 
um, you should try to get out of your comfort zone and and be a a face of peace for somebody here, you know. Um, but that's the very nature of the reason we gather. It's it's because it is inconvenient, yeah. and it is a group of people that you may or may not have anything in common with. Um, that's the whole point of the gospel. Together, when we come together and we we just decide, we make a decision. We will be here minimum one day every week, and I will come with my own unique perspectives and interests and hobbies to be a part of a group of people who may not have any interest in anything that I'm interested in. And yet it somehow under the grace of God together in, by the Spirit, uh, we get we can do life together. And it is an incredibly important aspect of what Christianity through the centuries has seen as a vital part of the formation process of being made into the image of Christ, learning to love and care for people who are unlike you. And when you're, when you're just watching one person on a screen give a message to you, it becomes a very isolating moment where people actually don't matter. This sermon's for you. Yeah. Um, not that that's explicitly in anyone's mind, you know, but that's how formation works. Things, you, the more you do a thing, the more it will shape you. And so what we need to understand is what behaviors, what, um, what, uh, what priorities that we give to our lives, how are they going to shape us? Not how do we feel about them, yeah. not how convenient is this, but how will this shape continue to shape me. And one of the found foundational principles of of following Jesus is you are to be with people who may or may not be like you so that you can learn how to be patient and forgiving and so that they can show you ways that you need to change. And together we become a beautiful image of the bride of Christ. look at the when you look at the early church especially right after you know right after Pentecost uh, in Acts chapter 2 the, the the next thing that we see is the fellowship of believers uh, and and in Acts 2 it, it talks about how uh, the people uh, the people that had probably just uh, given their lives to Christ because they heard the word that Peter preached and they were cut to the heart and you know they were baptized and, and all of those all of those things, it says uh, that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the um, to the to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking bread, and to the fellowship uh, of the church. And and what was what's awesome about that is that the, what happens next is it says that there was not a need among them. They needed nothing because everyone in in this group of of believers. Who are who are now connected to a family from different different backgrounds, different thought processes, all of these different things. Now, there's not a needy person among them because all of these people are gathering together under unity of Christ and saying, "Hey, you have a need. How can I meet this need?" Uh, and that's the benefit of that's to me the real benefit of being a part of 
a local body of believers in the church um, that, man, there's going to be times in your life where you need something. Maybe it's just encouragement. Maybe it's help with, uh, you know, a power bill, help with gas, something like that. Man, you're connected to a body of believers that sees a need that you have. And now, man, we want to meet that need. Because, yeah. you know, we're in this together. And so when you separate yourself from the people of God because of whatever, you know, excuse that you might be using, whether it's, you know, I don't feel safe or whether I, you know, I, my kids got sports and, you know, all these things that take up time with fellowship of believers, um, it makes it, it makes it harder on you because you're not mm-hmm. you're not in a fellowship with us yeah and then it makes it hard on us because we see that and we say you know you want us to help you but you don't want anything to do with us mm-hmm. any other mm-hmm. time so yeah it, it, there's a disconnect there yeah and i'm not saying it's right to not help people or yeah but there's something about being together um that spurs us on yeah to encourage to help and be there for each other yeah forms us into more generous people yeah uh i wanted to read this passage from deuteronomy 6 i've got a couple of passages here before before we read i I guess some some of you listening may be thinking well um this this might this sounds a little bit like kind of my situation right now I kind of find you may find yourself feeling this way a little bit, and um, you shouldn't feel guilty for that. I'm telling you, that is the default. That's where it's easy to go. Um, But here you've been presented with a test, and testing is a very it's a major theme in the Bible. If you if you uh, if you're unfamiliar, I would just say read the Bible. Everyone has a test. Uh, and the way testing is described is this very active, um, you find yourself with with um, eyes to see how you might make a different decision, and that's the moment that you need to make the right choice. Um, it's not that, oh no, I've been this person who's been sitting, you know, at home and finding it to be better, but better really only in the sense that it's so convenient uh and what can i do well here's a here's a great here's a great place to start uh other than please just rejoin us because i think what's underneath what the bedrock is beneath that uh what makes us default to that is our lack of uh awareness of the word of god i uh Biblical illiteracy is, is has is plaguing a lot of our Christian churches, um, and and I don't I mean it from from the people standpoint. Uh, we teach people like, hey, you need to, you know, we try to encourage people to read the scriptures uh, because the reason we do that as leaders in a church is because we know most people don't yeah including people who say they are god's people 
And whether that's a decision, you know, whether it's a, a decision, a position of apathy towards the scriptures, maybe no one's been shown just how exciting they are and how bizarre and mysterious, but strangely um, impactful they can be. Uh, maybe that's why. Maybe someone is kind of has a distaste for the scriptures, but they want to be Christian. And, so, and they, it's hard to understand, whatever it might be. Um, but I want to read you from Deuteronomy 6, just a short passage that Moses is giving to God's people and what they are to do in light of all that God has done for them to this point. So just to, just to bring you forward, um, Moses has been through, they, he has just, he has brought the people out of Egypt they have been through the wilderness. They have been to Mount Sinai. They've been given the commands of God. They've been given the priestly order. They've been given all of these things. They've built the tabernacle. They're headed to the promised land. What does Moses have to say to this next generation? These people who are going to enter the land, what does he have to say to the kings that though God is wants to encourage them not to do, but if they do choose to make themselves a king, he gives them the freedom to do that. He gives them a warning. You shouldn't have a king, but if you do make a king, what is he to do and what are you all to do? This is what Moses has to say. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God and Yahweh is one. You must love Yahweh your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and your whole strength. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit down in your house and as you walk along the road, as you lie down and as you rise up. You should tie them as a reminder on your arm and fashion them as symbols on your head. Inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. Then Yahweh your God brings you into the land he promised your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you. A land that is large, fine cities you did not build, houses filled with choice things you did not accumulate, hewn out cisterns you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, and you eat your fill. Be careful. In light of all this, all these good things God's going to give you, be careful not to forget Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt, the place of slavery. You must revere Yahweh your God, serve him, and take oaths using only his name. You must not go after other gods, those of the surrounding peoples, for Yahweh your God, who is present among you, is a jealous God. His anger will erupt against you and remove you from the land. So one of the things that's interesting about this is... Um, God, God's own words through Moses here are the number number one is you must always keep in mind 
what God has done for your ancestors and therefore what he has done to you. Notice that Moses here can say directly to this audience, you must not forget what God has done for you. Even though there are definitely children here who did not come through Egypt. But he's saying your ancestors have been impacted by Yahweh has literally brought them out of slavery. And though you are about to enter a land that is flowing with milk and honey, with houses you did not build, filled with treasures you did not find, do not forget who brought you here. And what does he tell them to do? Remember these stories, read them, put them in the front of your mind as you walk through the streets, as you lay down, as you sit with your children. Tell them these stories so that they do not forget. And that's a very big part of our Christian tradition is we believe something happens to you when you are immersing yourselves in the story of this Bible, this epic narrative from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible itself wants its its intended audience, being the people who worship Jesus, to spend their whole life reading over and over and over and over again these stories in the Bible. Because its claim is that if you do that, you won't forget. But if you don't, you will. You're going to forget, and you will be led astray, and you will begin to think that you made all these good things for yourself, and that you are the one who has made your life so convenient, and you are the one who has given, who has worked hard to give yourself the financial freedom that you have. And it is you who, through your life experience, you gained wisdom from bad decisions and good decisions you may have made. It was you that did that. And what Moses is warning them is saying, that will become who you are if you do not remember to tell these stories, to meditate on the way our God has rescued your ancestors and what your God wants to do for you. And I think that is, you know, as the first scripture I want to present is, that's a pretty significant um, command from Moses yeah and and the the thing that stood out to me the most was he says in my translation the nasb um he says these words which i am commanding you today shall be in your heart teach them diligently to your sons and talk to them when you sit down in your house and when you walk like literally every day wherever you go teach your children and and i think that that's I, i would just point out before we go to the next scripture is parents if if you're listening and you're you're a parent uh it is the church is beneficial to you in in helping you aid in 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 teaching and instructing your children in the ways of the Lord, uh, but ultimately the responsibility of your kids knowing God falls upon upon you as a parent because you are their parent that is with them all the time. And so if, if you don't know this God, 
in a in a real and personal way, then your kids aren't going to know and remember and and all of the effects of sin which we're seeing in society is shown in these stories about God and who he is that haven't been passed down to your kids. As a new father, I will say um, one of the things that uh, I don't think I thought about until I had a daughter was I recognize that there is going to be a moment in her life where she will she will make a decision uh, to continue with this uh commitment to Jesus or not. And one of the one of the goals of my that I have set for myself is I want to be the one that she learns that this is a good thing through. Yeah. And I think that's something um our culture has decided well that's what the church's job will be. Yeah. And and I think you can see this even in our in the way our public school system works and our and I'm not condemning public school at all. I'm just saying it is our the way our society works is telling of how we pri- what we prioritize and what we prioritize um good or bad again not I'm not judging on this particular podcast um but we've determined that it's the school's job to teach our kids things they need to know about life. It's the church's job to teach our kids things they need to know about God, and it's the parents' job to have money to make sure that this kid can have the most comfortable life that they can have. And I would say on every front, that is an unfortunate image of parenting. Um, It's dangerous. Yeah, and when you... you when you simply read the Bible, there is just no way around the the um, the idea that God has designed the family unit to be a microcosm, if you will, or like a small example of how the world works in that parents are to be the mediators between God and these children. And the children are to, to be looking to their parents to see what it means to be a person following the Messiah. Yeah. And I count it as one of my jobs to to make sure that there isn't anyone else. My daughter is not going to have to look to anyone else to figure that out. I want to be the thing that she looks at and says, I want to be a Christian because mom and dad, I couldn't imagine being anything else. And that's what that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And the way that you do that is you, you look to the scriptures and you meditate on the stories. You think about how they, how, what they mean and how they can, where you fit in this and where Jesus fits in into these stories and 
what does that mean for, for us now and what is our job now what what is what does this story say is should be my priority as long as i have breath in my lungs and that ultimately i want to be the most compelling story that my daughter could ever devote her life to yeah. um and we just ha- we sorely la- lack that and i think it's just it's sort of just undergirded by every everything we do in our you know our society we sort of lease out yeah. our children to gain information from different organizations which isn't bad in itself but if the parents are not leading that teaching uh, council, if you will, you got yeah. your public teachers, you got your public school teachers, you got your church leaders. If the parents themselves are not being the um, the 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 loudest voice, then I think we've we've sort of begun to unravel the biblical picture of parenting. Um, yeah, yeah what well, I, I mean, you just you see it, you see it in so many aspects of society right now, just in the, you know, in the things that kids are confused about, um, that, you know, the choices that are, that are being made. And now, uh, it's, it's unfortunate in so many ways. Uh, God says, raise your kids in the instruction and admonition of the Lord so that when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know unfortunately we put most of that responsibility on churches or like you said even the public school system which you know i don't i don't want to be rude to it either but public school system is not christian in any way. Yeah, and I think there was a time, and this is kind of what I was getting to in this post-Christian age that we live in in America right now, there was a time, not too many decades ago, where you could pretty well uh, be confident that you would, though it may not be explicitly Christian in the public schools, there was this um, sort of very soft but still very Christian moral uh upstandingness that it that it did try to impart these ideas of um you know of uh the golden rule treat others as you would like to be treated and this kind of awareness that there is a standard of morality that should not be changed and that is just simply not uh it's just not the case anymore and um there are different world views and I would still say there was a different worldview between authentic Christianity and public school systems or any other systems of education for children for forever. There's only one church, and it's it's God's people. But uh, we do live in an age now where people really do interpret reality f- from a completely different worldview. They yeah. do not see the world the same way. And if you are not being, if your children are in public school systems, and you are not, and you are not being proactive in going beyond what they're learning there to give them a proper worldview, they will your your mission of raising Christian 
adults is going to be greatly hindered. Yeah. Greatly hindered. Yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate. I, I, I used to laugh. You hear, you know, older people that are like, oh, we need the Ten Commandments back in schools. Yeah. And I would always, you know, kind of laugh about that. But but the fact is, is that even, even growing up as a kid, uh, I remember actually having the Ten Commandments posted on the walls of, of my grade school. And I remember as I would walk past it thinking, I've been told that before. And that's God saying, don't do those things. And and there is a level of yeah. being reminded about the things that God says, do this, don't do this, do this, don't yeah. do this. Uh, it, it's important. And so uh, hashtag put the Ten Commandments back in school. <laughs> um, but seriously, there, yeah. you see in, in the way in which kids nowadays talk to their parents um, in the way in which they um, present themselves to their friends. Uh, I was in a a store not too long ago um, and just listening to a rebellious child, man, that was just, would speak to his mom like horrible things, told her to shut up, called her, you know, and and you're just like, man, how far have we come in our in, in society with just this broken concept of parenting your kids, raising them up to know God and to and to understand this his ways, man. It's just. Yeah. This is very sad. So um, I, w- I actually have another passage here I want to read. Yeah. Uh, it's from the New Testament. It's Paul's letter, second letter of 2 Timothy. It's in chapter 3. Um, it says, ministry in the last days. There, There is uh, the way I read Paul's words here, uh, I find very... Um, freakishly applicable to our current uh, trajectory in America. And um, Paul actually, in this passage that I'm, I'm getting ready to read, he's talking to Timothy about what he should do going forward as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What will be the concerns he needs to be aware of? What will be the social trends that come up and what is he to do to ensure that he is staying on the right path and that he is able to teach people the way to go. And here's what he says. Understand this. In the last, in the, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. That's pretty, that's pretty relevant. Irreconcilable. Slanderers without self-control, savage, opposed to 
to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. So avoid people like these, for some of these insinuate themselves into households and captivate weak women who are overwhelmed with sins and led along by various passions. Such women are always seeking instruction, yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And just as Yanis and Yambres opposed Moses, so these people, who have warped minds and are disqualified in the faith, also oppose truth. But they will not go much further, for their foolishness will be obvious to everyone, just like it was with Giannis and Yambres. You, however, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, as well as the persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. I endured these persecutions, and the Lord delivered me from them all. Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived by themselves. You, however, must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about. You know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. He says a couple of things there that are just incredibly poignant. And I think what we're seeing, what, what, in, in, the, in this context, you have, you have a world that is very much characterized by, it's a different world than we lived in, but in some ways it, it's very similar in that there was a lot of, um, though there was a lot of poverty, there was also a lot of wealth. Rome was... At the time, the greatest nation in the world, at least in the West, controlled a lot of ground, had a very, um, had a very intricate road system built into it, had a very intricate taxing system. It was a very wealthy place to be, and it was very comfortable for a lot of people. And Paul is saying in, in, in the upcoming days uh, of your life, Timothy, People are not going to want to hear th this m Messiah message, this idea that God has spoken in time to the Israelites, revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and now calls all people to live in this way. In fact, he says they will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but deny its power, which is... 
uh, I mean, that's pretty spot on. Yeah. That's pretty spot on. So especially now in a, in this particular flavor of post-Christian America, there was a trend of atheism in the early 2000s up to the mid-2000s uh, to, to right now where uh, atheism kind of had a boom of popularity. You saw that with uh, the four horsemen of atheism, uh, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, and uh, Sam Harris, four very popular atheist writers and speakers. However, actually, atheism is not what people are going to when they're, you know, in our society. They're going to a, a, a form of religion, a sort of awareness of spirituality, new age sort of... Uh, sort of a foundation and accept it's totally accepted they are aware that there's no real foundation to these stories but there is this value in just being you know a good person and being aware and meditating and reflecting on spiritual things and unseen worlds and things like that and that's seen as noble that's seen as a more open-minded uh, noble position in our society and where that becomes a problem is because there's no bedrock to that. There's no foundation uh, there. There then that means morality. Um, and I don't want to boil this down to purely to morality, but really direction, like where is the right way to go, is undefined. And so when someone comes along and says, "No, actually, you're going the wrong way. We need to go this way," well, they can go. Well, maybe for you, that's your way, but but I'm doing this way. And that's where you have a, a contrast. You have one voice saying, no, there is one way. And then you have other voices saying, no, there is just your own way. Yeah. And uh, I think we're living in an interesting time for the church specifically where we have, we're seeing people in churches who are feeling the pull to go their own way. They'll hold on to whatever it is that they feel comfortable with, with Christianity, but they're going to go their own way in regard to how that actually comes out in their life. What I find interesting, and then I'd like to hear your input, um, what I find interesting about Paul's, what he says to combat that with is, number one, you, you know what I've taught you about this Messiah. And also... He mentions uh, this in earlier in the in the book, but uh, he talks about his grandmother and his aunt. Mm -hmm. They taught him the stories from infancy. Yeah. Now, the stories from infancy here, infancy would have been these powerful and profound stories of Israel's journey with God through the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And Paul says, "You've heard the stories." Don't forget them. Remember what your these women in your life taught you about God. And remember what I've taught you about the Messiah and what that means for us. Yeah. And in so doing, he says, you will gain wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, if you remember these stories, if you stay immersed in them, do not let them depart from you. Keep them close at hand. Uh, 
like Deuteronomy 6, in your mind, as you sit, as you stand, as you walk, you will be led into salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what he says they will do. Yeah. And um, just going, you don't even have to be a parent here um, because this isn't just a call to parents. We've just kind of detailed how it is important for parents to be aware of this, but this is for anyone who's wondering how am I supposed to hold on to how am I supposed to hold on to this faith in this world that is so um, doesn't really want to hear of absolutes of objectivity uh, in a world that it doesn't ju- it's not just that our current worldview is that there is no uh, there is no truth in this in itself. It's that they really, there really is a philosophy undergirding our society that says reality, truth really does come from your own vantage point. It's a philosophy called pers- perspectivalism. I think that's what they call it, perspectivalism. And it's the idea that um, the way you see a thing may reveal a way forward for you that is true that for me would not be the way I would go forward it's a it it's not an it's not a, a totally ridiculous philosophy there is some there is some truth to that in that our subjective experiences of reality really do come to bear on how we move forward in certain decisions but the claim of christianity is that there is a God who is actually alive. Though you cannot see him, he has given us a way to live in this life that is that is attuning us to our actual purpose for being here. Not just how can I live my life the best way while I'm alive, but that there is an actual way of being that is more true to how you've been created than uh, just subjectively going off of what feels right to you. And Paul's words to Timothy are, read the book and you will discover it. Yeah. Yeah. He, that, that's a thing that we miss so much, you know, and this is a problem that has finally, I, th- I think, blown up in our face in, in the American church is we... We wanted to create a good feeling for someone on Sunday mornings. We wanted we wanted to, you know, give them. I mean, through stage lights and you know all of these feel good messages and and stuff like that. That what was happening is pastors stopped focusing on scripture. And tried to create, uh, you know, an experience on Sunday mornings. And what happens is you see that and it turns into, well, I think that, you know, I think that God is this way or I think that Jesus is like this. And what it and all that does is just show, hey, you can think those things, but guess what? The Bible says something different. Mm-hmm. It says something different about who God is, about who Jesus is. 
um, about how the Spirit works in the life of a believer. And when you, when you go away, when you stray away from the words of Scripture and what God has said, and you, and you form your own opinion or thought or um, even your own vision of what you think God should be like, then you have just created a version of God that is not true. And Paul points out all of the bad things that are going to come in the last days. And, you, you know, there's all this argument about are we in the last days or are we not? Not the point here. Um, the point is, is that Paul's saying all of these things are, are going to, to come. But you, Timothy, you follow what I've taught you, what your mom and your grandma have taught you. You keep sticking to Scripture because Scripture, the words of God, are what are profitable for your life. They're profitable to be able to teach, to reprove, to correct, to train specifically for righteousness. And I think that to go back to the Scripture that we read at the beginning from Jeremiah, that God wants us not to boast about all of the things in our lives that we've done. But he says, if you want to make a boast, boast this, that you understand and know me, and that I'm the Lord, that I practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Um, yeah. yeah the, to me, <clears throat> where, where my... Uh, the thing that I hope that I can contribute here at our, at our church in the in the in the worship that I prepare, and then in like the Sunday school classes that I'm teaching, is that what I'm not saying is you need to read the Bible so that it it brainwashes you into obedience just because that's what you need. That's not really the message of the Bible. The, what the Bible, what the Bible, really is created for, and this is something I feel like I've come to kind of recently, is it's an actual. Um, I had a friend who who said, if I read philosophy recently, he said, if I'm reading philosophy, um, will that lead me down? like a wrong path, like would it lead me to unbelief? And I said, well, philosophy and its actual, it's, it's, it's two words. It's philo and sophos. And philo is love and sophos is wisdom, two Greek words, love of wisdom. I said, the Christian worldview, the Christian story is a philosophy. It is, it is, it is one option of many options of how the world works. And what you have to decide is, is it telling the truth about how the world works? And what Paul says is, if you will read it and you will immerse yourself in it, it will reveal itself to you that it is, in fact, telling the truth 
about how the world works, about how you impact the world, what your tendencies are, what our habits as human beings is, and what we can do to bring our gaze, to, to focus on the thing, the Messiah for us Christians, that will lead us into a life that is good for us, into our fuller purpose. That's its claim. And the idea is that the more you immerse yourself in these texts and the more you gather with people who are doing the same thing, the more wisdom will be revealed to live righteously. And ultimately, what Paul says is it will lead you to Jesus Christ. It will lead you to the knowledge that you needed Jesus Christ, and then it will lead you into the way of living as a Messiah person. And uh, that's what I... That's what I want people to see from the Bible is that it's – I'm not just trying to get you to like cl- close your eyes and plug your ears to the world and just like let the Bible speak to you. But you know, in a way, I, I want to say you should give it – you should really give it your attention yeah. because if you're going to be a Christian, this is what over and over and over again through the Old Testament and the New Testament – all of the writers are calling you to remember the stories, listen to the stories, think about yourself, pray, pray for yourself, pray for the people around you, pray that God would show you ways that you can set your gaze on the right thing to become what you're intended to be. Yeah. Yeah. We want our people here at this church to be so immersed in the scriptures that and so in tune with 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 the words of god that when the struggles of life come uh when things like covid come or when you know your grandmother or grandfather die or when you're child gets sick all of these things that happen in our lives that that you'll you'll remember the promises that God gives in his word you'll you'll remember um the you know the hope that we have in Christ mm-hmm. because because those times are are coming and and so it, you know we really just wanted to s- sort of focus this this whole um, podcast and, and this whole sermon coming up this Sunday in, in just recognizing your need to know the Lord. And that is going to come from, number one, you working hard to, to know God and to understand Him by opening up your Bible, by seeking Him in prayer, by trusting that uh, the Spirit of God is in you and, and working in that um, by asking questions that you don't understand, um, but also that you would be a part of the place that God has so graciously given us, which is the church, to be able to come together as that unifying body, encourage one another, spur one another on, help each other when things get hard. And we want you to be connected to that so that when all of these things come about, you will find your hope, find your strength, find the love of God that's poured out richly into you 
in the church. Yes. Which, as I said last Sunday from Scripture, says that the church is part of Christ's fullness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One last Scripture that I had come to mind is Psalm 1. And uh, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are introductory psalms to the rest of the collection, for those who may be interested in its literary breakdown. Psalm 1 is an incredible psalm. It's a very short six verses. I'm just going to read it to you here. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, his delight is in the law of Yahweh. He meditates on his commands day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. Not so with the wicked. Instead, they are like wind-driven chaff. For this reason, the wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join the assembly of the godly. Certainly Yahweh guards the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked ends in destruction. Now, Jesus himself says in the Gospels that all of the scriptures, the, the Hebrew scriptures, are about him. And so the first thing as, as Messiah people, as Christians, we should read this psalm and, and th- think, how is Jesus the fulfillment of this? And the one that sticks out is his delight is in the law of Yahweh. The law here is the Hebrew word Torah, which is the first five, which is the name of the first five books of the of the Old Testament. And it says, the one whose delight is the word of God, who meditates on the commands of God day and night, that one is like a tree planted by flowing streams, yielding its fruit, and whose leaves never die. This is a clear uh, allusion to Genesis. Uh, in, In the garden, what you have is you have Eden, and then within Eden you have a garden, and within the garden you have the top of the mountain, so to say, and in the middle of that is, a tr- is are trees. They're the trees of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. And what this is describing is a tree of life. It is a, the one who does these things is like the tree planted by a stream that will never run dry, whose fruit will always be available when it should be, and whose leaves will never die. Now, this next line is interesting. He succeeds in everything he attempts. That, if we're not careful, we can read that and think, well, if I just do uh, this, you know, what it's just said for me to do to immerse myself in the scriptures, then anything I set my hand to do, God will make sure that I have it and do it. But again, this is a Messiah text. We are Messiah people, and Jesus, our Messiah, said this is about him. Something happens to a person that immerses himself in the scriptures where 
the things that he attempts may not be what the rest of the world would desire themselves. So when we when we read everything he attempts, we immediately go to financial decisions, um, starting a business, or um, having children, or whatever it might be. It's whatever we attempt, God will bless. The focus is not on what we're attempting. It's that the one who succeeds in what he attempts, the things that they attempt will be informed by the word. And what do we know just from your passage? What should we be attempting or what should we be setting ourselves out to do if we are following this God? I think your passage in Jeremiah, it's, well, what does God himself want to yeah. do? We practice love. We practice justice in the yes. world. We practice righteousness. Yes. And so now we have a proper color for this psalm where what did Jesus set out to do? He set out to be for us what we could not be for ourselves. And God saw that what he attempted succeeded. Not so for the wicked. Instead, they are like chaff driven away by the wind. They cannot withstand judgment. But Yahweh guards the way of the godly. Jesus was godly, and Yahweh saw that the way to the cross was open to him. Think, of, think about that for a second. What is the way of the godly when it culminates in Jesus? It, it, what is it other than the open path to the cross? And how many of you would set yourself to, for that to be what you attempt in your life? It's probably not many of us. It's probably not many of us. Probably none of us. But the Bible here is wanting, in the same way that this is a reflection on Jesus' Messiahhood, Messiahship, we recognize that Jesus does what we cannot do. What he attempted... He did perfectly, and God saw that his way was open to him. So we recognize that. We worship the Messiah, and the Messiah wants us to follow in his way. How do we follow in his way? We need to know the scriptures like he did. Yeah. And if we know the scriptures and we, we are meeting with his people, we will learn the way. Yeah. I'll close, uh, I'll close with this because I think it answers everything that we've said uh, and, and what you just talked about. Uh, in John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in you, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away in the branch as a, as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. That's similar to what we just read. Wow. Um, my Father 
is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as my Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If my, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you. All of this stuff that I just said, he says, I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be fade, may be full. Be a tree. Yeah, amazing. Just be a tree like me. Yep, praise God. So that anyone comes to you can take your fruit and know that it is good. Amen. Wow. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Words. Thank you, Eric, for bringing a good word. You have anything left to say? Nothing left to say. Praise Praise God. God. Amen.